0: What is going on everybody and welcome back to the Stories Unleashed podcast. I'm your host Shay Waihe. and if this is your first time tuning into this podcast, welcome and thank you too as well. Um, Don't forget to like and subscribe to my YouTube channel, um, the Stories Unleashed podcast. Um, We're also available on Spotify, Google Podcasts and and Apple Podcasts as well. Um, So make sure you check us out on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, Today we have The Champ. Um, the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, I've got Tupiria King, brother, first and foremost. Thank you very much for jumping on, Bo. I'm glad we could make this happen.
1: Thanks for having me, man. man, It's um, good to be on and good to finally make it happen. And yeah, excited to uh, get things underway.
0: Um, Bo, so just to start off, um, just for the listeners out there who may not know you, um, can you just tell us a bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, and um, maybe a bit about your upbringing as well?
1: Yeah, cool. Um, so, yeah, my name's Tapudia King. Um, I was actually born in Hamilton, uh, New Zealand. Uh, but at the age of three, um, my parents and I and my family, we moved to the far north um, near Kaitaia uh, and pretty much grew, grew up there in the far north. And um, around about the age of seven, seven years old, I was introduced to Wakaama uh, by my father, um, who also introduced it to my three sisters. And then later on, my mother, she was kind of la- the last to start out of out of my family. Um, and this all happened up up north. Uh, we first started training in a r- even smaller town than Kaitaia called Oaringa, um, out in the bush, as most people will call it. And um, it basically became uh, just a, a lifetime affair for me and my whanau. You know, Wakaama became a really important part um, of, our, of our lives. And um, for as long as I can remember, we were training for our Wakaama National Sprints, one of the big events we have here in New Zealand. And um, things are still still the same. I, later on, after college, I, I left Kaitaia. And I went, moved back to um, Hamilton to study. So for me, it was almost moving back to my original home in a way. So I felt at home, studied there. And um, yeah, in the early days, I, you know, I did a lot of kind of sports. You know, wakaama was kind of the summer sport. I played rugby in all kind of traditional New Zealand fashion um, right up until I left for university. Um, but yeah. It was a pleasure to grow up in the far north, you know, I um, grew up on a farm, so I was like, you know, always into um, outdoors things and and love that far north lifestyle. So, Um, but yeah, waka'ama kind of was the one sport, you know, that really stuck, um, especially after I moved away and went to university, whereas the other sports, rugby and um, things like that kind of, um, kind of died off.
0: Was that because of your passion for it? Is that why it died off? Or did you ever see, like, I know a lot of kids think this when they're young, like, oh, now I'm going to be an all black when I'm older. Like, was that the same for you?
1: Yeah, like, I would say in the early days, um, yeah, like I said, I played a lot of different sports, rugby, touch, tennis, um, wakaama. And even at that time, in those early days, like, I probably would say that waka, I didn't truly have that passion for Wakama at that young age it's kind of was just one of the things that we did um and in this basket of all these things all these things that we did but and even more interestingly enough bro uh when i first went to university and you know was removed from my parents and on my living on my own for once flatting and and have that didn't have that that outside um kind of uh support I guess to, to do Wakama. Um, it was the first time where I I actually stopped paddling for a bit. And I think a lot of people don't really know this, but like I stopped paddling for a good year or two and I kind of wasn't really doing any sport. And I I kind of went through this moment like um where I kind of felt a little almost a little bit lost I guess. Mm. And but what really brought me back was I decided to go to university and I decided to do sport and leisure studies and through my degree as I started learning like how to train you know learning about nutrition and all these things I actually started like developing a passion for like not necessarily wakama right away again but I was developing a passion for um, health and fitness and Because I had this history of Wakama, I decided, you know what, I'm going to put this training to the test, kind of got really fit in the gym, and then um, that year, I believe, because 2012 was my first year of uni, and then leading into 2013, that's January, I was like, I'm just going to put this to the test. And um, funny enough, that's when I wound up winning my very first Premier Men's title, so like Within the space of a year, 2012 being like the, like, I kind of wasn't training at all. I was kind of a bit lost, you know, I wasn't even, wasn't playing rugby, wasn't doing I wasn't doing anything. I was like, oh, what am I going to do to actually, boom, the next year actually winning my first Premier Men's Championship? That was a really significant year for me because it kind of like paved the way for the next 10, like eight to 10 years mm. to where I am now, you know um so yeah it's it is a it's a tough tough thing because you do see that happening um you know especially kind of the similar similar age that it happened to me where you can kind of lose your motivation and your passion for say Wakaama. Mm. um people don't necessarily always come back I was kind of the lucky one to to kind of come back um yeah which I'm kind of pretty
0: grateful for really yeah Bo. Yeah. no I, I totally agree like i'm i'm only 22 so i finished school um mm. 2017 was my last year um mm. which is ages now feels like it anyway <laughs> um yeah and bo like as soon as i left school i had big ideas in my head that you know i'd go to uni and uh mm. you know do my degree then get a job and then find a wife yeah. and then like yeah. stereotypical sort of thing bo and then for a bit there even I got lost and I was like oh, is this mm-hmm. is this just me or is it a lot of other people so it's quite mm-hmm. good to hear that you know even um the likes of yourself find yourself mm-hmm. in those sort of predicaments um yeah, sure in terms of um when you when you went back to racing and and, and you won, was it the goal bro, or did you just think, oh, I just need to slowly ease myself back into it? Or did you start seeing the results and going, oh, I could really have a shot here?
1: Yeah, like, no, it actually came as a almost as a surprise. Like I, like I said, I found that like enjoyment and training and like getting fit. And then I was just like, like th- this is the funny thing. I was actually uh, around that time it was. CrossFit was coming onto the scene like pretty strong. Rich Browning was like champ. And I was actually like really quite invested in watching that. And that motivated me to just like land train a lot. So I got really land fit trained, like um, fit that way. And then like I said, when Waka, I was like, oh, Wakaama Nets is in about a month. Let us, I'll jump in a canoe. And um, so it kind of happened that way. And then I actually won the 250 250 meter one year before I actually won a 500 meter. So it was almost like kind of like an accident. And then um, from that point, I still wasn't the, the champ. Like uh, there were still guys that would beat me in the long distance races. And um, But soon after that Wakama Nationals, Kingy Gilbert asked me if I wanted to travel to Tahiti to compete in a six-man race with them. And I was like, oh, you know, why not? And Went over there and did this crazy three-day race around the island of Tahiti, and like I had blisters on my hands at the end of it. Um, I'd never experienced anything. We actually, we got thrashed. I uh, um never experienced anything like that, but it like blew it like blew my mind the level of competition in Tahiti, mm-hmm. and that was a big motivating factor for me to carry on, like um because now. I wasn't just looking at like New Zealand level or being champ New Zealand. I was like, whoa, look at these Tahitians! I want to try and get close to them. So that was actually my main motivation was like, I, I want to catch up to the Tahitians," And it just so happened that it, whenever I came back to New Zealand, I was, you know, growing my level here too. So, um, yeah, like I said, from right that moment in 2013, it was like a domino effect of basically mm-hmm. one thing led to another just opportunities, races, and traveling just all happened one after the other. Um, and it didn't really slow down pretty much up until COVID, really.
0: <laughs> how how um, known were you before you won that race, bro? Were you like, did they still know like, oh, that's Tipu King? Or were they like, oh, this is just a young fella just jumping in sort of thing? What, what was your status at that point?
1: I would say not, like, I wasn't that well-known because I... To be honest, before my, I had my moment in the, um, in the spotlight, Joshua Perese was the man of the moment. And yeah. he was the last person to last New Zealander before he we went to the Premier Men's Division to beat me. He, he won the 23s. He won the junior 19s probably multiple years in, like, supreme fashion. Mm. He travelled to Tahiti earlier than me, and he 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 set some pretty awesome standards. That kind of same era too, or even a little bit before him, was Hemi Wahopono, you know? Hemi Wahopono did some crazy things through the intermediate and junior 16 grades and potentially even the junior 19 grades. Um, you know, so, no, nah, I wasn't really um, well-known, but, like, that's the cool thing about the sport that, it can only like take the space within a year before you can go from zero to 100 basically
0: bro exactly like but that's the thing though eh? like um because oh i don't know you know that i've i've peddled before eh? right yep. um yeah but i remember like when we first started paddling and we used to line up against like this was under 19s oh, j19s j16s and stuff but and you'll just hear the aura of team names like um like push to the max or um (laughs) all those waitakere teams or um vakamanu like all them and you'll just hear the name and you're thinking oh no man i don't want to race these guys (laughs) you know so i was wondering if that was the same sort of scenario for you um so after tahiti bro obviously i know you've done a bit of um paddling over there um now Mm. what 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 was it that like you thought was so different um, in terms of their style, in terms of how good they were um, in 2000, and was it 2012, did you say?
1: Um, 2013 was my oh. first year in Tahiti, yeah. Yep. Um,
0: from 2013, bro, like, what was the major difference that you could visually see um, compared to the likes of yourself and your team?
1: Bro, um, so traveling to Tahiti, like I said, was a huge... Um, eye-opening moment for me and basically to compare um, to put it in perspective, paddling for Tahiti is like rugby to New Zealand and like you go there and just everybody is just so passionate about paddling and I always remember going there and I love training because like it doesn't matter where you are on the island, which kind of town or motu you you are at at certain times of the day, there's always what they call, which is French for packs of paddlers heading out to like line up train, but basically they're racing in a way. You know, like they'll meet out there at you know, 7 a.m. or 11 a.m. or 4 p.m., you know, 6 p.m. They have these packs and groups of paddlers where sometimes you're getting, sometimes you 30 to 40 or more paddlers in one lining up outside the pass and surfing down like a a certain course depending where you are and um it's like a race every single day especially when you get close to big events so um compare that to new zealand like you only really train within your clubs and sometimes it's competitive but over there you're training like you know the top guys train here so i want to go there and Mm. see a match up so like every day you're basically having a fight with someone that's better than you and like wow. that's the reason why the the, the the level of the paddling in Tahiti just goes boom and if you've ever been to Tahiti, I this is my thing I always say like they do the simplest things really well like so you walk down the street they everyone rides bikes but they don't just ride bikes like normally they're like doing wheelies you know one hand off or um I don't know, just the simplest thing is that they take to like another level, you know, and Vaa is one of them. Like, I know that Tahitians train harder than some Olympics, Olympic athletes I know. And it's purely based on the passion for paddling because a lot of them don't get paid at all. Mm -hmm. But it's like, it's pure passion in Tahiti. Um, So I think that's why it's so, so big
0: man that's mad bro that's that's real cool insight actually because um i was fortunate enough to go over to sunshine coast in 2016 and um oh, i think it's a race i so i got injured on, on opening ceremony but um <laughs> but watching watching them in real life like and like i know the 19s they had um like hotu or those boys um and it was just like it was like watching a team glide on top of the water while everyone just paddles their hardest, but they're just, it doesn't seem like they were putting yeah. in any effort almost. It just seems so effortless. Um, mm. Have you ever felt like you've gotten to that stage in in your paddling since that
1: experience? Yeah, like that's a a really good topic because I, I feel like that's like that missing link because I always talk about Tahitians they lack what probably a lot of like other sports have in terms of like theory and sports science detail. Like you, they can't explain it in that sense, but they're like the way that they can explain, say the meaning of like feeling, like so feeling is one of the, the most important things racing like a Tahitian is like having feeling with the water, connection with your paddle, your craft, like all of that is like, the most detailed thing ever. And that is the the one thing that separates the Tahitians versus people who will break down all the movements um, and do as much as they can. The one missing link is that feeling and that connection with the water. Like, they're basically like, um, I don't know, just like spiritually connected to the water almost, you know? Like, they just Mm. embody it. So that's what's really um, help them like to excel as there. how I said they just do things so well, um, but there's so much knowledge there in Tahiti that's been passed down over the generations. Um, yeah, it's, it's really, really amazing. So I try, I definitely try and embody that. And um, I, like I had some really awesome opportunities um, to paddle with some teams over there i paddled with paddling connection for a few years so um being in that environment and learning and was the best thing that ever happened to my paddling um i definitely wouldn't be at the level i am now there without having gone to tahiti that's that's a definite
0: did did one person take you under their wing there um in that team did you become almost a rookie in that team or what was that sort of set up oh, like and-
1: Oh, it was awesome. So, like, so, I, 2013 was my first trip, and there's a race called the TI Tour, And the TI Tour was, like, back then, there was, like, 700, 600 paddlers on the start line. Now they have to divide that into, you know, master men and open men so that there's not too many paddlers on the water at once. But basically, everyone's goal was to make the top 100 so that you can make the super Aito. And my first year, I... Somehow managed to make the super idol. I still placed out of the top 100, but all the locals were like, whoa. But so that kind of became my gauge from year to year. And my main goal every year going to Tahiti was to improve my results. So 2013, I was like 127th. 2014, I was 64 something. 2014, I was 37th, and I think I beat Steve Tehotata, but he was injured, wow. like coming off an injury. Um, and then 2015, first time making the top 10. 2016, I think I dropped back out of the top 10. I was like 11th or something. Somebody beat me in the last 20 meters. And then 2017, I think I placed, i skipping a year, 6th place, like the best I had ever placed in the Super i Tour. And then, um, and so forth. So it was kind of, that was kind of my big gauge. But halfway through there, in the first time in 2015, sorry, the first time that I made the top 10 of, for the uh, Super Aito, coach Wilfred Armin from Padlet Connection came to the place that I was staying and knocked on the door and basically asked me, we're going to the Catalina Crossing in three weeks, right? you want to come with us here's some raffle tickets sell those and we'll see you in California so 2015 was another massive moment for me because it was the first time I was invited to pedal with Paddling Connection and I, I remember going to training like the next day or the day two days after the Super Idol with Paddling Connection in preparation for this race and I took two strokes basically with this team and straight away, Wilfred stopped the boat. And he's like, hey, your technique is wrong. You're, you're too stiff. You're sitting up too straight. You're not, like, fluid enough. You need to move the body, be fluid, feel the water. So, like, right from day one, um, I owe a lot of my teaching, my learnings to Paling Connection, and especially Wilfred Alman, um and his brother, uh, Mahimana, Amin and all of the Paddling Connection boys because yeah, it, from then it was an awesome journey did like, yeah four or five years paddling with Paddling Connection in some of the top top races um, over there it's
0: 127 right down to six yeah wow, that's mad- that's madness bro yeah. well, it, it's funny that you said, so you went to the um, Catalina Crossing in 2015 um, and I know you won the 500 metre in in um in new zealand in 2015 um and i remember going to the 2016 nationals bro and it was like seeing two different paddlers like with you like your technique was so different i just uh, i don't know if i've got the years right but i just remember mm. seeing you one year and you were peddling and you were still smoking everyone in, in both both years but i remember seeing you um the next it was like watching a totally different person was that um because of peddling
1: connection definitely definitely yeah i think there's like two years um where i hadn't had any uh, involvement with paddling connection managed to still win 500 meter sprint but like you know exactly like i said like stiff like my rate probably through the roof not like using length in my stroke and then yeah I think two thousand and sixteen. You're right. Was the first time I did a proper, like a proper huti roar like a long and strong stroke in the five hundred, and it still to this day it might be one of my best, like um, leads in a in a five hundred meter race. Like, and I, I always look back and I'm like, man, I want to do that, have that same performance. But, but <laughs> I'm fading away. <laughs>
0: did you feel that like when you were racing? Did you feel Was it different in that race? Did you just feel like, oh, this feels, it's hard, obviously, nothing's going to be easy in in a 500-meter, but it just felt more fluid and more like you had a good flow going in that
1: race? Definitely. Like, I remember, I even remember the time when I was, like, doing it in training, like, telling myself that, um, you know, faster isn't this, like, faster rate isn't necessarily going to get me to the end faster um so I was really like withholding myself like really trying to um dial in on the long strong trust in it um trust in my feeling and connection with the water and I even remember going out like the day or two before Wakaama Nationals just to do a few 500 meters up and down the course and I remember probably some of my competition came out and jumped in with me on one of them and I remember just Testing my long and strong and feeling like really, really good for the for the next day. And so I was like, I'm just gonna do this, you know. And so it was like a stroke that allowed me to to almost get to a point later on in the race where I could kind of almost take a look. I'd usually take one look in the second 250 just to see where everyone is at that point, and then decide whether I need a Take it up to another level or i can just kind of maintain here for a bit you know like it kind of got to that point um you know but yeah i've never really felt more uh, i guess yeah connected to my stroke without that influence from from paddling connection that's for sure mm.
0: a little bit about um sort of your race structure and stuff a bit, but later, but I think we should stay on, on paddling connection, Bo. So you've said that experience was, I suppose, surreal for your paddling um, development. Um, what was, what was that like being in that environment? Did you, did you take a lot of the training home in terms of going home and now saying, Oh, we just need a, we need to focus more on feeling or, um, we need to be a bit more loose, like did you take that um, that mindset home, or did you take the mindset of how can we incorporate the both and be a bit innovative with it?
1: I think when I first was taught it, I did come home and try to pass it on to my team here in New Zealand. Um, but kind of over the years as things gone, I kind of realized that there is. There is more than one way to do things. And, and so I almost, because my team had, in New Zealand have a kind of a specific way of, of paddling. So coming, bringing something new and trying to kind of change things wasn't really for the best. Like, And so I kind of fell into the rhythm of when I'm in Tahiti and I'm with Paddling Connection, um, i I blend with them. I do what they do, and I do that. When I come back, I don't try and enforce it on my team. I give bits and pieces, but I adapt to them because the the most important thing is is working as a team. You know, no matter what you do. Um, but in saying that, what it did over, especially now looking back, what it did allow me to have is a more of a broader perspective on technique, on the differences between countries, New Zealand, Tahiti, Australia, Hawaii, um, even understanding different crafts, different waters. Like, so it's, for me, it's only strengthened my um, paddling knowledge for the better. And, you know, there there have definitely been moments where I'm like, this is the technique, like, one size fits all, this is the best. But now I prefer to just, everything's good. It just everything has its reason. You just have to, you know, understand why you're using it at this in this context and things. So I like to think I'm a lot more well-rounded um, through all of the experience I've had.
0: Um, race structure, bro. Like, how how important has that been to you? I, I remember. we were training for worlds it was very structured you know this piece we do this 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 part of the race we um you know we lift and we kick here and all that kind of stuff but is that always been um structured for you or is that a um play by ear
1: yeah good question so i earlier days when i was at university and i was learning a lot of you know um things around training You know, the idea of like periodization, strength training, um, you know, understanding energy systems and all that. Like I used to be real pretty rigid on like as in those earlier years. Like I was, I would basically create a Excel spreadsheet for my entire year. And I'd already before, (laughs) almost before the years even started, I had like a basic blueprint because I knew where my important races were. You know, nationals in January, so I had a plan for that, and then I'd have like a kind of a week off, but it wasn't really a week off. Then I'd start building again for um, maybe the New Zealand Aito, and then the next one would be in July. Like, I'd do a really big build for the TI tour in July, and then Super ITO happens one month after that. Then I'd have a six-man build for the um, Molokai in Hawaii, and then jump over back to Tahiti for the Hawaii Nui with Paddling Connection. And then I'd be right back at the start again. And so I'd have a spreadsheet and then I would break that down into like m- months and then weeks and then training days. Like I was really rigid. And um, that's how I got pretty pretty decent at writing training programs. But I feel like now as the years have gone on, I because I've just done it so much, I can almost – Half of me plays it by ear, and then when the important races come along, like Wakama Nationals or, you know, the Ti Tour, I'll definitely plan for that. So I almost know how to maintain my performance, and I can yeah. have a bit of a moment where I'm, like, not stressed. Um, that's even kind of now, now that Wakama Nationals is cancelled, I'm just kind of, like, in maintenance before a really important race comes. So yeah it's gone from um more rigid and and into kind of just flow now yeah
0: um does that change for your uh like your workout plan and stuff because you won't be doing just pedaling; you'll be doing you know gym and a bit of running and stuff like that i'm sure um but also your eating plan as well like are you you know sometimes you're more carbs sometimes you're more protein or are you just trying to keep consistent most of the time because i see you're a bit of a chef on on the (laughs) audience stories from time to time too
1: yeah i like to make um remain pretty consistent um but same same kind of thing i I kind of sit in like a um, maintenance phase and then i used to you know for those early wins national premium in championships that i do I used to like maybe like five or six weeks out I'd like write myself a contract like I'm not allowed to eat sugar or fizzy drink like or I'd write it and I'd, I'd make myself sign it and it'd be a good like six weeks before nets and that always did me well so like I'd be going into I'd probably give myself like two days you know that maybe might be Christmas and New Year's of just you know whatever but um I used to always do that I don't do them now, though. But some sometimes I think I, I should still keep up that co-papa. <laughs>
0: yeah, but That can be. That's <laughs> that's sometimes the hardest task is because when nationals for um, New Zealand is it's right in that period of being lazy and and, yeah. and munching yeah. out and stuff like that. Um, bo. So do, do you want to talk to us a bit about the mindset of 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 peddling, bo? Um. I know every every sport at a high level it becomes a, a thinking man's game. Is that the same for you in Wakama bro? Are you Is it a mental, mental push for you?
1: Definitely, yeah, definitely. Like, um, and even talking about how two thousand and thirteen, when you know I wasn't really sure what I was wanting to do, fitness almost became that, like you know, going just as simple as going to the gym became kind of something that I turned to, you know, because I must be honest, like, I was probably partying a lot, drinking a lot, eating bad food a lot, you know, gained. you know, back then I was 100 plus kilos, and so that kind of sent me on that path of finding something that, um, I guess, something positive, and that was the gym so not necessarily directly Wakama, and then you know like i said i just made that like um, a habit really and then that positive of winning Wakama nets came out of that that habit and then it kind of led to more you know so for me um like in there's a book i think atomic habits like those that type of thing is is really true like doing the small things like when you do them consistently turns into a habit and then those habits basically stick like those habits have stuck with me now that I you know and they were definitely uh, difficult but it was my like paddling was my like kind of my I don't know my
0: therapeutic sort of
1: yeah my therapy so it just became my way of because you know, there's no better, like, it's hard to get out there and train, and especially, I did some ridiculous time on the water um, in my years, but, like, there's no better feeling of finishing a good workout, and then, you know, my mind's clear, and, you know, you feel feel good, so that was my, that just became my habit, and, um, yeah, I think, it's, yeah, that's, it, I enjoy it, though, so it's, it's kind of just became, My thing, I
0: guess. Um, that's that's quite interesting. Are you big with your mental stuff on in terms of like manifestation and uh maybe having rituals that you do before the before the race, like in terms of oh, you know, I only wear these shorts or these and these these sort of thing. Are you big on that kind of stuff?
1: Definitely. Like probably not necessarily clothes-wise. I always like to at least change my hat every nationals but I would say that every wakama national was almost did everything the same like it just felt like I was like you know oh here's another wakama national I won't do anything different and I was pretty pretty consistent like um everything in the lead up and then like the way that I would plan the days and rest leading into a race what I would eat would almost be exactly the same it felt like But it's crazy because it felt like, even though I won six, you know, national championships, it felt like time just went so fast. Um, But, yeah, I'm always at Wakaama Nationals. Like, I, I almost, like, there's a, something happens. Like, I almost just, like, part of me shuts off. Like, I'll be talking, I'll talk to people and, you know, hey, but, like, inside, I'm like, dead focus on like basically one goal like i'm here to win and as soon as that happens i can kind of relax a lot of the time you'll see me with my headphones on before a race and i'm just before a race i'm always like like visualizing myself paddling Mm. like almost every single stroke not too much like you almost want to kind of just like not hold on to anything but at the same time still just focusing on yourself you know so yeah
0: is there any ones that you've like tried and then it's not like quite worked out and you're like wow why did i why did i do that it's a weird one or any funny stories like that
1: um or yeah no not necessarily um there's that like the 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 thing that always when i look back now the craziest thing is like how i always wonder how i even won some of those races, like, especially the 250-meter dash was always, like, that much in it, mm. you know? Um, yeah, but no, nah, nothing I w- probably would change, you know? Like, every, every year I had a, I, a new playlist, though, and, like, so I'd jam the playlist during training to get me motivated for, like, you know, when I'm training, I'm thinking about nationals, I'm listening to the song or these particular songs, so I would play those songs at nationals because it reminds me of all the work that I did during training, like and it's the same like motivation. So that kind of that's kind of a bit of a tradition I, I do. What type
0: of songs, bro? Are they um, upbeat songs or are they chill, relaxing songs?
1: One year it was like a full-on Eminem playlist. <laughs> 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 yeah. Nah, I and mean, then yeah, all sorts really
0: um but do you want to talk to us a bit about your business I know you're selling apparel now uh mm. you obviously do training programs and stuff like that um how did how'd you get into that Bo, and what's it been like um joining the business world
1: yeah no it's it's um it's been awesome so and it kind of happened like in the same way that I talk about my performance like the domino effect really like if you're passionate about something so much other things kind of just fall into place, like, you know, um, and I've never been like a business person, you know, so, but in a couple of years ago or a little over two years ago, I was doing um, some coaching in Singapore and in Singapore, there's a lot of expats and there were a lot of Kiwi expats working there. And there was a, even a Kiwi club there, uh, quite a lot. Of paddlers, Kiwi paddlers there, Um, and I was coaching a particular New Zealand team, and one of the paddlers, Irene Matila Cooper, uh, who's a Kiwi, or she's actually the granddaughter of Dame Finna Cooper, and um, she, you know, really well business minded. Obviously, living in Singapore and doing that for a career, Uh, she actually. You know hit me up. Like, do you actually want to turn this into you know a, a proper business? Because I'd always you know, along with my journey as as I was going, I'd write training programs for other for mates and I'd do coaching clinics when I went to places like that, but I it was never a, an official business. And so she asked if you know she wanted I wanted her help on that end. And then from then, boom. Um, Irene actually moved back to New Zealand not too long after that she had already spent 15 years there and um, we basically started train like a king and she's been showing me the ropes ever since you know I do the, the core I guess training programs and the coaching clinics side of things and she she can bring the, the other side of you know paying taxes and all <laughs> that so it's been it's been awesome and I think the coolest thing for me because it's this has always been one of the things that's laid in the back of my mind is like pursuing passion over money and like pursuing passion, my passion for wakama, I knew I wasn't gonna make any money pursuing that. Like going to t- race in Tahiti wasn't gonna pay me, but that was what I was passionate about. And I loved it. And so I just did it anyway. And you know, it's cool because forging that path on my own led to train like a king without actually pursuing that passion uh, train like a king would never have existed Mm -hmm. if i did choose you know the money path and just went somewhere something maybe i wasn't necessarily as passionate about i probably wouldn't be in the position where i kind of love what i do train like a king doesn't pay everything you know it's not my one will be all obviously I've got other things, but like I wouldn't trade, wouldn't trade it for anything because the things that I've experienced and then the things that I get to continue to experience um, and offer other people value now through train like a King is, is pretty, pretty amazing. So yeah, we COVID has been a bit, a little bit tough, but we're still, you know, that's the great thing about the digital world that you can still create value and, and give others, you know things like that so yeah it's been been awesome
0: um with your training programs bro so do you just focus particularly on wakama peddlers, or are you looking to branch out into other um, areas and other athletes
1: yeah definitely looking to branch out now that you know i've even been exploring other codes myself surf ski kayak because i believe um all pedal sports are different are pretty like similar you know um, the way that when we talk about energy systems and training and all that, they're pretty relevant to most sports, unless you're getting into really like um, sports like weightlifting or something like that that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily involve the cardiovascular system. But any endurance sport or slightly endurance sport is they're pretty similar. So yeah, um, stand up pedaling, um, all of those sports I think would value you know, get value from a training program for sure.
0: Um, Where do you see yourself, Bo, in the next five to ten years or where do you see the business as well? And do you have any exciting opportunities uh, coming up with that?
1: I think in the next five to ten years, I think, like, so I've still got some goals, some performance goals of my own, like, um, that are still there because i I am 28 now but I feel like I've still I've got at least to 30 30 or 32 maybe to be truly competitive in maybe in some of the bigger events endurance wise probably still got a while in the long distance racing things so like I'm still wanting to be like world champ um, Main is, like I've been doing a few interviews about olympics and kayaking maybe not really Uh, don't really have the energy to to pursue that all the time. I'm kind of a bit old. Um, But business-wise, I think I I wouldn't mind stepping more into that that coaching role pretty soon. And, you know, still compete myself, but help that next generation of paddlers to experience some of the things that I've experienced in Tahiti and um, you know, so maybe focusing on world championships as a, you know, as a way of of building up our performance here in New Zealand from rangatahi upwards and then taking them to big events like the world champs, um, mm. you know. And I guess along the way, building Train Like King, building relationships with overseas paddlers, with big races. Um, yeah, that's kind of, where we're kind of hopefully heading
0: no that's awesome bro and wha, those are some mean mean things too. a lot of giving back um because both a, a lot of people don't realize they I, I think unless you're a peddler you don't really understand the culture of wakama and well it's a real whanau um orientated culture it's it's um like i mean you go watch the midgets and and all the babies that pedal at the start of wakama nationals and you know they're just some of them don't even know how to hold their pedal right but they're still out there racing and and giving it their all and some of the cutest moments and I've seen a lot of um a lot of boys who come from you know not so good backgrounds but that's the avenue or the pathway that they've taken to um, exclude themselves from whatever situation they're part of so Mm. it's awesome to see um people like yourself giving back to to their community um but what what advice do you have to any um inspiring um peddlers and um also some business owners
1: as well I would say um just like consistency is key, like you know um and I always say this like I didn't even for Wakama like. I didn't necessarily have like the, the passion that I do now for it. It's it's almost not necessarily like you you don't necessarily know it's your passion. Passion something that you like create that you like build on. You know like pedaling was like a like a a rope that I reached out and grabbed and then it pulled me in type thing. You know like you never know until you try. So like um, take those leaps and. Go 100%. Like, just go for it. Despite if you're passionate about it, just go for it, you know. Um, And don't let anyone kind of steer you off your path. Like, um, I kind of felt my calling was wakaama and went down. And then, you know, just I think what you're seeing these days is just leading with, with passion, with kindness, offering other people value. I think the biggest thing that I've out as a peddler and slash business owner with train like a king is that the more you give others the more that comes back you know and so that's that's probably my my biggest thing um
0: yeah um three quick questions um who my, this my nan plugged this question she wanted to know um she's a peddler she peddles for her um in um she's she's a bit gutted about the um the covid and how it's affected her training bro she wanted to know how it's mm. affected you in your training
1: yeah that's a good question i think the most um the way that it's affected me because i've always said like people always ask me how do i stay motivated i always always would keep a race in my mind like you know and even if it was months away i'd be like I know I'm going to be in Tahiti, or, you know, Wakama nationalists is coming up. And that was my motivation to, to carry on training. But with those removed, it has been a, a lot more difficult. But at the same time, it's been quite good because it's almost like the, the pressure is off and I more so paddling for the enjoyment of, action, of the other things because the competitive side is only one thing that makes up what Waka'ama is about, you know, competing. But the other thing that people love about competing, like that's half of it, but actually being with other people, paddling with others is another. So um, the way to counter that is, you know, organising training sessions with other people, with your friends, like I'm staying in Tauranga now, so organising downwind paddles with my mates, like it's just as fun um, as racing, when you've got you're going out with other like-minded people, socialising good for Taha Hine Taha Tinana, Wairua you know, all these things even though it's not necessarily catering to that, co- that competition part, um, I guess not forgetting those main reasons why we do Waka Ama and it's you know, more than a sport, a lifestyle um, so yeah
0: um so also what what do you think about um the nationals being cancelled? Are you just gutted about that? Do you think it's the right call, is it the wrong call? Um obviously government would have had a lot of influence in, in that decision, but um maybe just your opinion?
1: Yeah, definitely tough times. Um I think, you know, Wakaam I and New Zealand probably made the right call in the end, even though it probably could have gone ahead, but probably wouldn't have been the same. I think, waiting until things kind of settle down and you see how the new traffic light system works and things like that. Um, More personally, I guess, uh, part of me was like, damn it, but then part of me was like, kind of relieved because I've been competing at a Wakaama Nationals for 21 Wakama Nationals straight, you know, haven't missed one. So... And also knowing that there's some young guns coming up to the Premier Men Division. Um, I understand that it wouldn't have been easy. But I wouldn't have, you know, I would have died trying to defend my title, but um, knowing I get to offset that for maybe another year, might be, or actually half a year, because Worlds is, is around the corner as well. So, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> nah, but still looking forward to some long-distance races, hopefully over the summer and and um, but yeah, might be able to afford to uh eat a little bit more at Christmas and New Year's, so that's always a plus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, so that, that champ title just uh you know goes on to another year, doesn't it? Really? <laughs>
1: yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, I get a hold on, you know, call myself champ one more year.
0: Nah. <laughs> <laughs> um and so the worlds, I'm not too sure what the situation of uh the the worlds is um with those restrictions on uh there's been a bit of chatter in her team about going to worlds and and trying Mm. to go to worlds Uh, is that something that you'll definitely just try and do until you know that it's it's not an option or um because i know there'll be a lot of variables in that Mm. there's you know the travel the expenses the uh miq now and how that's all going to work out
1: yeah, definitely. I think there's going to be a lot of um, hurdles to get over to get to worlds. Prices expensive and things like that. But I'm personally, I'm pretty eager to get over there myself. Like I've traveled so much to a lot of the Pacific Islands, to South America, to um, Asia, but I've never been to Europe. So it would be pretty awesome to to experience. Um, yeah, I understand it. It definitely would be tough, but I I kind of want to go, stay optimistic with it, and and kind of pretend like it's going to go ahead and prepare as if it's going to go ahead. Especially if we have W one trials in March. Um, and I'll disclose it here. Like I've even put my name in to coach the open men's elite team. So not not saying I'll get it or anything like that, but um, I'll. Man, I'm willing to do that too. So in the mix, in I'll, the mix. Uh, I'll lead the charge for getting people motivated to go to worlds.
0: <laughs> hopefully, that goes all well for you. And um, it's good to hear that yeah. you put your put your name in the mix there, um, yeah. Bo. Um, I've got a few quick fire questions just to finish us off. Um, I know it's getting late, and I don't want to hold you up too long. Um, what's your top three songs in your playlist?
1: Oh. I think um definitely got like a Chris Stapleton song in there, like Millionaire, because it's mine and my partner's song. And uh ooh, I've actually got probably like a young and lips song, some Australian drill rap. Yeah, yeah. And ooh, oh gosh, I'm the most diverse music listener ever. Um do not even say. Probably like a 660, 660 song, or Catch a Fire, or something like that. I'm pretty diverse, <laughs> but I think I looked it up. Yeah, um I think Chris Stapleton was my like number one song of twenty twenty one. That's
0: not that's not a bad thing though. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> one of the boys asked me to ask you this, bo. Um, when the missus got home, did you open the door with? You wearing all your medals, or your gold medals?
1: <laughs> nah, no, no way. I'd have to mount mine down and put them all together to even compare to, to that Olympic gold, bro. Um, it's pretty amazing to see And as damn heavy, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can't um, compete, can't compete.
0: <laughs> that's amazing, bro. Um, is someone that you look up to or inspires you?
1: Oh, um man, I have like when I was young, I looked up to a lot, like a lot of New Zealand peddlers, Bo Herbert, Maui Kelsen, Um, and then as thing as the years went on, Tahiti, you know, I was looking up to Steve Tegotata, Ta um, Arwa Dubois and them and still do now. Um but yeah, even within my own within New Zealand, like I look up to like the likes of Conan Herbert and those kind of followers who really lead the, the way in, in New Zealand. So, um, yeah, <laughs> that's right. within the paddling world anyway. Yeah,
0: That's mad, bro. I remember, um, was uh, video on YouTube, bro. there was a,
1: there was oh, a go-to
0: before the race. Watch that. And yep, I was sure. ready to go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Unreal. Unreal.
0: <laughs> um, your greatest achievement?
1: Ooh. I think my 12-time Premier in Sprint Champ, if I add my 250s and 500s, that's probably my now is my most um, treasured um, achievement collectively. <laughs>
0: 12 times, but that yeah, is yeah, I,
1: I know. I don't even... I just, even when I look back, I'm like, how did the time go so fast? It just went like that, you know? You're
0: almost in the conversation of with Michael Jordan. You're, you're surpassed him. Huh? <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, yeah, well, I remember Tyron Tyron Thomas. That was another one I looked up to. Like you know, for him to get five in a row, you know, I never thought I'd, did, never thought I'd exceed that. But yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah,
0: he he was amazing too. Um, yeah. Best piece of advice you've ever received.
1: Um,
0: Ooh. This can be any advice, too, Bo. Just rice rise.
1: Pain is temporary. <laughs> no, or the other. I think that quote um, by Muhammad Ali. I think was suffer now, spend the rest of your life a champion. Yeah, yeah. something like that.
0: <laughs> um. Would you rather be able to go back in time or go to the
1: future? Ooh, that's a good question. I'd love to go back to pre-colonized New Zealand and have a full-on look. Man, it'll be amazing to do that. that future uh, or might be a bit bit scary. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh we might be in the matrix by then
0: (laughs) is there there a particular um event back in time though? like would you just just plot yourself one place or
1: oh maybe the day that the first waka arrived from hawaii to new zealand see what those see what those voyages looked like back then man they would have just been all muscle and no fear, right? Eh? Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, your favorite uh, movie
1: or TV show? <laughs> Good question. I actually, uh, my favorite movie. I like a lot of the movies that um. Leonardo DiCaprio, and to be honest, like Inception, Shutter Island, like all those, all those ones that kind of like make you think like you know you have to watch it like once two times or three times to understand the movie I li- I really enjoy those kind of kind of movies and um, Leo's always been one of my favorite actors which is Cracker. Bit of yeah. a man crush <laughs> Yeah yeah pretty much.
0: Um, and last question bro um, if you're stranded on an island by yourself what are three things that you would want to have with Ooh. you?
1: Waka, <laughs> gotta choose my words carefully here. No, waka, um, paddle, and I'll take my partner too. Take my partner.
0: Yeah, I suppose you can just forage, <laughs> forage for to... something and make make a yeah. make a spear or something.
1: Coconut, coconut tree is the tree of life, man. <laughs> Milk, water. You know, huts uh, out of the the tree leaves um oil oh
0: man tree of life <laughs> <laughs> bro um i just want to say bro, again thank you very much for jumping on um it's been an amazing um time speaking to you about your journey and wakama and and business and um i'm sure a lot of paddlers out there are gonna get a lot from this um chat that we've had and be able to um you know, take it in for their own um use and in, in terms of peddling. A bit of a shame that uh Nats isn't coming up because I know that uh, a lot of people would have been able to use some of the information you've you've shared with us tonight. But yeah, bro, just hugely grateful um for you jumping on tonight.
1: No, I appreciate it, man. Um thanks for having me on and yeah, look forward to to seeing this come out and all the best for for the podcast in the future too, bro. It's awesome what you're doing. And um yeah be the lead man i'll be i'll definitely be watching i'll definitely be watching
0: (laughs) well definitely uh we can run it back um you know once you're a 16 time champion or something like that eh
1: yeah or maybe what it feels like to to lose and you know be on the decline (laughs) all good bro all right awesome bro thank you